in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And Father, we just humbly ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we continue in our time of worship, as we've sang and prayed and fellowship together. We just ask, help us now as an act of worship to give our attention to the authority and the truth of your word. So we ask, Lord, speak to us by your Spirit's ministry through the Word of God this morning that we might each hear your voice and know what it is you want to say to us from this portion of the Word of God this morning. Bless our time, we ask together expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the word immaturity refers to a lack of proper development and showing signs and behavior that are more typical of someone younger. And I think it's fair to say that identifying as well as dealing with immaturity is a very, very important thing. In fact, sometimes we may kind of challenge someone. We even use the statement, look, it's time to grow up. Maybe we've said that before as a parent to one of our children. Sometimes we say it to other adults around us, or maybe someone's even said it to us at some point in our life. It's time to grow up. Well, identifying and dealing, Paul, it seems now, with the church's spiritual immaturity seems to be where we're going now in this next section of 1 Corinthians. Paul's challenging them to grow up. And you could tell he kind of is using a comparison to natural life. In a natural experience, a person is born, but then a healthy, normal experience is that then that child develops and grows and matures physically, mentally, and emotionally. And the Bible teaches that the start of spiritual life is also pictured as a birth process. Jesus talked about being born again. And when we begin a spiritual life with God, that's referred to our spiritual birth, that we have a birth and we come alive spiritually in a relationship with God. Yet it's God's intention that we also then grow and that we develop and that we continue to mature in the same way a physical person does in natural life. However, it is possible to struggle with spiritual immaturity, to not develop properly spiritually in the way that we should. And it seems that's what our text is addressing for us here this morning. Paul says, look with me in verse 1. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, fleshly, or worldly as to, he says, babes in Christ. So Paul here in verse 1 is expressing his disappointment after a great deal of time has passed since the Corinthians have 
come to Jesus Christ, been established to the church, that sadly they're still conducting themselves like spiritual infants, if you would. Uh, You can tell here, again, first notice that he's clearly addressing, there's no confusion, he's clearly addressing Christians, people who are already believers who are saved. In verse 1, he calls them brethren. That's always a spiritual family term. That is, you're part of God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ. He also calls them very clearly in verse 1, babes, but he says babes, notice, in Christ. The idea is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is, their lives were already in connection to the Lord. They had experienced a spiritual birth. They were now in Christ relationally born again. The problem is that though they're saved and they're in Christ, is that they're not living under the lordship, you may say, of Jesus Christ. Embraced him as Savior, absolutely certain, that's evident, but not doing too well as far as following him as Lord. The problem with the church of Corinth is that they were still being ruled by the flesh. They had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They had God's power and help to live godly, but it seems they weren't being guided by the Holy Spirit foremost. And Paul's indicating here in verse 1 his disappointment that they had not matured spiritually to the degree to which they should have at this point. Paul says there in verse 1, unfortunately, I could not speak to you, he says, as to spiritual people. Now, the idea there when he says as to spiritual people, he's kind of giving the implication those living under the influence of the Spirit. When he talks about being spiritual, that's kind of the inflection there. I couldn't address you as those who are being guided and living under the influence of the Spirit as they ought to be at this time. Again, the ideal for the Christian, who, as we talked about last time, has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them now as the result of our salvation experience, is that we would become more and more ruled by the Holy Spirit and less and less ruled by our own human nature, which is sinful and weak that the Holy Spirit would have greater control within us and allow ourselves to be directed by the Spirit is what makes us biblically spiritual. That's the idea here. And instead, many in the church, Paul says, verse 1, instead of being spiritual at this point, he says we're still, he says, verse 1, carnal. Your translation may say worldly or fleshly. The, The idea there is ruled by the flesh or the lower nature, our sinful nature. And that's the implication there. Those saved and possessing the Holy Spirit, they were still living lives dominated predominantly by their sinful nature and flesh. They were Christians, you might say, positionally. That is, they were eternally ready to go to heaven. Positionally, they were in Christ. But in practice, they weren't living out the Christian life the way they really should have been. They weren't submitted to the lordship of Jesus. They still wanted to conduct themselves much like those out in the unsaved world who were still living according to the flesh. They may, in a sense, you say, be referred to as what we often use terms like a carnal Christian or a worldly believer, or as some have said before, a saved soul, but yet a wasted life. They wanted Jesus as Savior for their eternal fire insurance. That was certain. They wanted the eternal fire insurance of Jesus, but they kind of still wanted to play with the matchbook, if you catch my drift. They still wanted to play with the matches a little bit and be like those in the world and behave like people out in the unsaved world do. They were born again spiritually, but never really developed. And that's why basically Paul says they were still like, verse 1, he's using a metaphor, like babes in Christ. Now, 
interesting. He uses that idea of a babe or a baby in Christ. If we think from a natural perspective, there is a time, is there not, for a baby to act like a baby. And when someone is an infant, it's acceptable to act like an infant. When someone's a baby, it's normal for them for a season to develop the way uh, that they do on a very small level. Yet to never start to develop beyond being a baby is what we call sad. We call that dysfunctional. Something's wrong. Something's not healthy. It's not happening the way it normally should. The same is true spiritually. There is something very special about at first being a babe in Christ. When somebody first accepts Jesus Christ, they just start following the Lord and they're kind of a babe in the things of the Lord. There's something really special about that. That There's a passion often that they have that other people tend to lose after they walk with the Lord for a while. There's an excitement and an enthusiasm and there's something really refreshing that brand new believers in the Lord bring to the church family. However, something is concerning when after someone being a babe in Christ just remains a babe in Christ. And they kind of stay in that condition too long. God's intention and will is that once we're born spiritually, that we would then grow and mature. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4, where he says that God desires that we all come to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that is reflecting Christ in a fuller way. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro like a child, but that we may grow up in all things. Look, never forget, we are supposed to make progress in our walk with Jesus. However, it is possible that instead of developing spiritual into a mature person, sometimes Christians can kind of get stuck in a state of arrested spiritual development where they're not making progress in their relationship with the Lord and they're kind of still living like a babe in Christ and struggling with spiritual immaturity. And I think in this passage, Paul kind of almost identifies a few characterizing marks of spiritual immaturity. He certainly doesn't cover them all, but he clearly identifies a few if you take note with me. Notice first he says, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, he says, you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Again, one clear mark we can see from verse 2 of spiritual immaturity, you might say, is a limited spiritual diet. A limited spiritual diet. Paul illustrates how the diet of a baby is very limited, but then it's supposed to, again, naturally grow and expand. When someone is a baby, when it's just an infant, they have a very limited capacity of what they can swallow. They can't chew up things. They don't have teeth yet. They can't digest weightier, heavier things. So as a result of that, they just partake of milk because they can't digest anything really more solid at that point in time. It takes a bit more to chew up and to swallow deeper and meatier and more solid things. And this is true in the natural realm with a child. But those deeper, more solid foods are also what provides greater nourishment for the child so that they can continue to grow and develop into full adulthood and maturity. Well, look, in the same way with a baby, you see a baby partaking of milk, whether it's nursing with their mother or being fed a bottle, that's normal. But if you see someone at seven years old and they're still using a bottle, if you see someone at 15 years old and they're still using a bottle, that's sad. Something's wrong, deeply wrong. 
Something has happened that's very dysfunctional. And look, the same is the analogy for the spiritual life. A brand new Christian mainly probably is partaking of very simple, milky, simplistic type things in their spiritual life. And that's okay. They're a babe in the Lord. They're brand new to the things of the Lord. And so for them, simplicity is wonderful, basic understandings. And they may need a lot of help in those early stages of their Christian life with people helping them in their development, kind of nursing them along spiritually. And that's totally normal and acceptable when somebody is a brand new babe in the Lord. Yet with time, maturity and develop should keep happening. Their diet should keep expanding. They should continue to grow in their appetite and and be able to digest and swallow more solid truths. As someone grows spiritually, they should become more and more capable of beginning to feed and nourish their own soul and really beginning to partake of, if you would, kind of the meat and potatoes of God's word and willing to digest and learn all doctrines of the Bible, greater truths, deeper things, not just simplistic little things. More than just maybe a little, you know, devotional where it's just one verse and then a couple of statements about it afterwards. That they actually want to get into the meat and potatoes and read God's word for themselves and actually start digesting the Bible and letting God nourish their soul, developing an increasing spiritual appetite, wanting to learn more and more. They're willing to chew on things, even hard things sometimes, and swallow maybe some of the more difficult passages in the Bible that may be a little bit harder. And sadly, this was not happening in the church in Corinth, and it indicated their spiritual immaturity. That's why Paul's saying in verse 2, look, I once fed you with milk. When I first came there, you were brand new converts, and I once fed you with milk because I couldn't give you solid food. But he says, for until now, you are not able to receive it. And then he says, verse 2, and even now, sadly, he says, you are still not able. Even at this point, their spiritual capacity was limited because of a lack of spiritual development. This reminds me of what Paul, I I believe Paul, anyway, the writer of Hebrews addressed in Hebrews 5 as well with the believers there. It says this, you have believers, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk. And cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to now recognize the difference between right and wrong. Look, always remember a limited spiritual diet is often an indication of a struggle with spiritual immaturity. It's one of the indications of spiritual immaturity. Have you been a Christian maybe for a while, but you're kind of still on the bottle a little bit spiritually? Have you been a Christian for some time now, but you can only still handle quick and easy, simple sermonettes for Christianettes? Give me something short, simple. Give me one verse. That's enough. And and are you at a spot where you're still needing someone to kind of nurse you along in your spiritual life? Or are you able at this point in time as a believer, as you ought to be if you've been a believer for a while, to feed upon God's word yourself responsibly to make sure that you're nourished spiritually? Remember, our spiritual diet says a lot about our spiritual maturity. And this is why the word of God is addressing that here. 
Paul goes on to say, verse 3, for you are still, he says, using the word again, carnal, worldly, fleshly. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Notice another characterizing mark, you might say, of spiritual immaturity is, I see two things here, one, selfishness, and two, routine relationship problems. Selfishness and routine relationship problems. Again, Paul labels them two times, secondarily in verse 3 here, two more times he calls them carnal. Again, he's again continuing to apply that they're fleshly. They're not being ruled by the spirit, but being ruled by their sinful nature, their flesh. And as the result of that, it was manifesting itself in how they were behaving and relating to each other as people. Among the church, they were having problems relational problems and paul identifies some of it here in front of us notice he says verse three they were having issues with envy and envy is different than jealousy jealousy is man i'm kind of sad or jealous that you have that envy is a much stronger word envy is a word that speaks of actually a resentment within yourself and almost anger and resentment that someone else has something that you're not enjoying or participating in it can be a possession it can be a position in their life. It can be anything. But that's the idea of envy is I don't have what you have or I'm not enjoying what you seem to be enjoying. And so I actually I'm actually resentful because of it. I actually despise you and dislike you to a degree because you have something that I don't have. And really, the bottom line with envy to a greatest degree is just discontentment. It's a struggle of comparison that I, for some reason, feel that I'm entitled to have what everyone else has, and that may not necessarily be the case. It may be I have a discontentment issue in my own selfishness. Notice he also says, verse 3 there, that there was strife amongst them as people. The word strife means to debate or to contend. It speaks of fighting for superior position. The idea here is those who are engaged in strife, is they kind of like to always be contentious. They like to stir up strife and always be the one to engage in the argument. They kind of almost look for a quarrel. You know people like that sometimes? I hope you're not one of them. It almost seems like every conversation, they have a way of kind of turning it to a quarrel, to a debate, to something where it kind of gets a little contentious. They almost kind of enjoy challenging people. I've certainly met people like that. It's almost like you know they, they almost find a pleasure in, in challenging the system or bucking the authority, and, and they, they just like to stir up strife. He also mentions as well here in verse 3, a third thing, that there were divisions in relationships among the church as a whole. That is an unhealthy, competitive spirit where people wanted to be right or they wanted to have their own way so much that they were willing to be hurtful and cause discord and even sabotage relationships because they just wanted to be right in their opinion or have their own way in a particular situation. And again, can I ask, what is the root of all three of those attitudes, behaviors, strife, envy, division, discord. What, what's the root of all that? It's selfishness. At the end of the day, it's an overly self-focused person, a self-centered individual. Again, if we could relate this back to what Paul's using as an analogy about being a baby in Christ still, think about the behavior of infants or babies, right? Right? They're adorable, but beyond being adorable, 
Would you agree, especially if you're a parent, I hope, beyond being adorable, babies are incredibly selfish. They're incredibly demanding and fussy, right? They don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you're trying to sleep. I want food now. And I'm going to make noise and do anything I can to get my way. And again, babies are very demanding, right? It's the nature of that immature and infancy stage. When has a young, t- when has your toddler ever said to you, hey, mom, is there anything I could do to take a load off your shoulders today? I mean, I'm going to pick up all my stuff, but, you know, maybe put a stool there. I'll wash the dishes for you. Can I- right? That doesn't happen. The essence of infancy and a baby and immaturity is they're very demanding. They're very self-centered. They're very fussy. And they really care very little about what's best for others. That's why we hope they grow out of that. Now, with that in mind, a believer who is still dominated by this kind of a childish behavior system is revealing that they're spiritually immature. A believer who is kind of self-focused and fussy and demanding and high maintenance and cares a little about what's best for everyone else is revealing that they're spiritually immature, the Bible is saying. Paul says here that they were still behaving like mere men. The idea is just like other people out in the world. That's the idea there. You're behaving just like mere natural people out in the world who don't know God and don't serve God. Because in the world, they don't have the Holy Spirit to help them. They don't have the word of God to guide them. So people in the world behave the way that they do. And what Bible is wanting to say to us here is there should be a distinct difference between God's people and the world. There should be a very clear market difference. We should not be behaving like mere men around us. Remember, Jesus himself said this. He said, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. That is that people in the world should be able to come into the church and see a glaring distinction in the way God's people behave, in the way God's people live their lives, in the way that God's people relate to one another. That they come into the church and they see among God's people, wow, these people aren't perfect, but they love each other. They, 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 They get along. They know how to forgive each other. They communicate. They work through issues. Unlike the world where it is, you know, just cutthroat and brutal in the way that people treat each other. And Jesus said this should be a drastic distinction. Whenever the presence of things like being envious or despising others or, or lots of strife or always causing strife with people are starting to happen or whenever there starts to be constant disagreements that ruin relationships, that's an indication of a problem with spiritual immaturity that's going on. And God wants us to recognize that because our relationship with God should always better our relationships with other people. If there's anything that comes out of my relationship with God is I should be better at doing relationships with others. And that's not happening. There's a real immaturity and a lack that's taking place spiritually in someone's life. Paul wants to, again, illustrate just one example of this. He says, verse 4, for when one person starts to say, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not, again, fourth time, he says, still acting like you're carnal? Again, he's giving further marks of spiritual immaturity here he says are you not behaving carnally when you are doing things like demanding your own preferences to the point where you start fighting against one another over who's right and who's wrong aren't you behaving carnally paul says when you're overly emphasizing spiritual leaders in an unhealthy way he talks about the same thing he did back in chapter one some like paul the apostle 
Again, Paul the Apostle came there, planted the church, pastored it for a time, and some people connected with Paul. They preferred Paul's style of teaching. They liked his leadership style, his ministry style. Others, it seems, resonated with Apollos, and they preferred Apollos more. That was their preference. But again, I stress those were their preferences. Those were human preferences, things that they liked about Paul versus Apollo. But they were forming party groups and actually fighting over it within the church. They were ruining relationships over the desire just to be right in their personal preference. And again, whenever we make our personal preference on subjects, whether it's Bible teachers or let me just say on any subject under the sun, your ideas, your convictions, your political views, your whatever, any conviction or preference that you have. I'm not talking about biblical truth. I'm talking about preferences, viewpoints, ideas that are different that we all share. Whenever we make our own personal preferences such a big deal that we are willing to sabotage relationships just to have our own way, or willing to make our personal preference so important that we're willing to ruin relationships just to be right in a given situation, that's a mark of spiritual immaturity. That's an indication that we care about things way more than what really matters most. Part of growing up, even in life, is learning how to respect the reality that people have different ideas than I do, and I should give them the grace and latitude to think differently. That not everybody thinks the same way. Not everybody holds the same views. And part of growing up also means that we give people grace and freedom to think differently. And we just give latitude and grace. And we don't have to make a big stink over it. We just allow people to think differently without having to get contentious as they were in the church and battle over it. Again, another mark of spiritual maturity is there we're kind of putting an undue focus on the spiritual leaders themselves, Paul and Apollos. They were kind of so connected to these guys, almost you might say maybe in an unhealthy way that they were allowing it to actually cause problems in their spiritual life. Look, does God use spiritual leaders, pastors, people who can help us along in our spiritual life? Absolutely. That has value. That's important. But over-reliance upon another person to maintain your spiritual life actually can start to become an indication of spiritual maturity of spiritual immaturity, excuse me. The Lord can and does use people to help us, but I want to say beware of developing an unhealthy attachment to any person that helps you spiritually. Whether, again, it's a pastor, whether it's somebody who's just helping you along spiritually, beware of always having to have another person help you along spiritually. God wants us to grow. God uses people in our lives, certainly, but we don't want to be in a place where apart from someone else, we always get off track spiritually. That if someone isn't holding our hand spiritually, we can't walk forward spiritually. We, we don't want to be in that place. A mark of maturity and growing spiritually is not only being more gracious and less rigid in our viewpoints, but it also, mark of maturity, is becoming more stable spiritually. Where you are able to kind of stand on your own two feet spiritually and walk forward in the things of the Lord independently without constant dependence upon someone else, whoever that may be in your life. Paul goes on to kind of express this further by saying, verse 5, who then is Paul? Or who is Apollos, he says, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each 
one. So again, he's just reminding them here that he himself, as well as Apollos, he says, look, we're just instruments of the Lord. He calls, calls them, he says, we're ministers. Again, that Greek term there is the, the term table waiters. We're just delivering to you what someone else prepared. Someone else supplied it. Of course, he's referring to God. We're just the delivery guys. We're just being used by the Lord to deliver his word to you and to help you along in your spiritual experience. That's why Paul expresses there, specifically verse five, he says, who are we? Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? The implication is he's saying nothing. (laughs) We're just men. We're just human beings. And then he stresses through whom you came to believe. He says, God just used us and was working through us to help you come to a place to believe upon Jesus. God works through people. But he says that's all he did. He just worked through our life as an instrument. It was just through us that you came to believe. It was through us we introduced you to the Lord. And he says we were only useful because of what the Lord gave to us, the Lord giving each one. Paul understood it's the Lord who gives a person the capacity to be useful. He says, all we have done is let the Lord use us and work through us. And the Lord gives to each one of us, whoever it may be, a capacity to be useful for him in some way. The Lord gave Paul a special grace. The Lord gave Apollos a special grace. The Lord wants to give to each one of us a special grace to work through our lives. But it is utterly important to realize that though we're helping people believe upon Jesus to come to Christ in salvation, or maybe if we're helping people to grow spiritually, or however the Lord may work through our life, always remember it is a mark of spiritual immaturity when a person pridefully starts to think that there's something special about them just because the Lord's working through their life. Just because the Lord begins to gift them in a certain way, it's very dangerous and very spiritually immature to think just because you're gifted from the Lord by his spirit or the Lord works through your life that there's something special about your life. That's a clear mark of immaturity, and we want to be very careful of that. Paul says, who are we? He then goes on, verse 6, to say, I planted... Apollos watered, but notice God gave the increase. So that he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Again, he uses another metaphor from nature to illustrate his point here. He says, a farmer can plant a seed. A farmer can water that seed to give it optimal conditions to be able to sprout forth into life and grow. But there's one thing a farmer can't do. He can push the seed into the soil. He can do his part to water the soil and create optimal conditions, but no farmer can create the miracle of life, right? That's something God alone does as creator, causes life to spring forth and growth and flourishing to happen. Well, the same is true spiritually. A person can plant the seed. That's what Paul the apostle did. He went there first. He sowed the word of God. He planted the church. Later on, God moved Paul on. Apollos came in, took over the existing fellowship as the next pastor, and Apollos then, if you would, watered. He, he did further ministry. He, he continued to build upon what Paul did through prayer and further ministry. Yet Paul says, but verse five, 6, he says, it was God who gave the increase. God is the one who gave life and increased fruitfulness. Again, we learn from this, I think, a few things that God is ultimately the one who brings the increase That's why Paul says there, neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but it's God who gives 
the increase. Very clearly, we can see in verse 6 and 7 that God uses different people in different ways. Some people sow seed, other people water. Paul and Apollos were used in different ways, and we need to remember this. A mark of maturity is to realize God uses everybody differently. Everybody differently. You shouldn't try. I shouldn't try to be someone else. Appreciate who you are in the Lord. Appreciate the differences of roles that God gives to each one of us. Don't try and be someone else. Just let God use you as who you are and appreciate the other people that God's put around you that are different. Because ultimately, these different types of ministry and service are intended to complement one another, not to compete. He says, I planted, but Apollos watered. But, but these things were used in a way where it was complementing each other for the ultimate purposes of the kingdom of God. And we want to always remember that. We have different roles as mothers and fathers in our home, in our ministry to our children. I know what mine was, and I know what my wife's was. I say to this day still, now that they're older, when they want somebody to listen to them, they call my wife. When they want someone to fix their problem, they call me. We just kind of have a different role. My wife is caring and sensitive and patient and listens and, 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 and comforts. And then when ultimately there needs to be a solution, they, they want maybe wisdom and counsel and direction and maybe a little nudge in the right. And, and, and we have different roles, different ministries. And God uses us all differently, and that's something we should value and appreciate. And notice ultimately what Paul wants to emphasize is the results of spiritual work are only something God can bring about. You see what he emphasizes twice in verse 6 and 7? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He says again, verse 7, it's God who gives the increase. Only God can bring forth life spiritually. Only God can. Only God alone by his power can make the seeds sprout to life, to grow. Only God can bring fruitfulness and increased growth. We can do our part. We should do our part, but we can't bring a person to experience life in Christ. We can't do that. We can sow the seed. We can water. We can pray. But God has got to bring the salvation experience. We can't cause things to flourish and grow and become fruitful. We can try. We can use all types of earthly mechanics and, and create a growth that may not be God's growth, but genuine spiritual growth and development and increase can only happen if God does it. God is the one who can cause things to increase, and we need to remember that. It takes a lot of pressure off, but that's also why God deserves all the glory and all the credit, because he alone brings the increase if increase should come. He then says, verse 8, concluding this section, notice, though God does all the heavy lifting and the hard part, what's amazing, verse 8, is he still honors his servants. Look how Paul concludes this section that goes to where we'll be next week. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one. That is, we, we work towards the same purpose. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. As people... We should each responsibly do our part to help the spiritual growth process. Again, we should plant. We should water. We should be responsible. We do have a part in things. We should plant. We should water in the lives of others as well as in our own. We need to plant and water and seek spiritual growth and maturity. But he understood as well, though we all work together doing our part, God still graciously rewards each one, he says, according to their own labor that is their own unique specific contribution we receive our own reward according to our own labor 
Our responsibility is to do our part and fulfill our role. And God rewards not based upon results. God rewards based upon faithfulness to our specific role, to doing what God's assigned us to do well and faithfully. A mark of maturity is simply being faithful to that thing that the Lord has given to us to do. The Bible says the end of a thing is better than the beginning. The idea, anybody can begin stuff. But do you finish things? Do you stay on task? Do you carry them out to completion? That's what's going to get rewarded. We can't produce the results. We can do very little. All of that is dependent upon God. And the last I checked, the thing we're supposed to be aiming for when we step into glory is Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Be a faithful mom. Be a faithful dad. Be a faithful servant. Whatever it is, just be faithful. Be faithful and consistent, and the Lord sees your unique labor. There is no small labor. There is no insignificant way to serve the Lord or do things. You just do what the Lord's called you to do in this season right now faithfully, and you're going to receive a reward. Jesus sees, and he will reward you fairly. Look, good time for us to evaluate our lives, our church, our families, and ask ourselves, how are we doing in regards to maturing? God help us by the grace of God. If there's an area in our lives where we need to grow up a little bit, to take the challenge and try and grow up a little bit in the week ahead. 